Well, good morning, and my name is Zach, and I'm part of the staff team, and I am preaching this morning, and it's great to welcome you, whether you're in Central Hall right now or whether you're joining from home like I am. Um, it's great for us to come together, no matter where we are, to set our attention on God and to invite him to speak to us. And so we're going to do that in this next little while. Um, why don't I just pray for us before we dig in? God, I thank you for um, everything you've been doing already this morning, for the ways that you've been drawing us towards you. And I just pray now as we take this time to uh, read from scripture, as we look to um, understand more about it, what it means. And more than that, um, because we don't want to just become uh, intellectuals who think about things but don't do it. God, I pray that you be at work in us, at changing us, renew, renewing us and um and drawing us to look more and more like you. So let's pray for that work amongst each of us this morning. Um, I say this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are back in week two of this series, looking at the big story of scripture, running from Genesis right through to Revelation. And last week we looked at a lot of big themes, didn't we? As we were looking at Genesis 1 through 3 and the creation of humanity and all of creation and God's intentions through that, how we were designed to be, our story, our origins, our history. And then we also read in Genesis 3 about what the impact of the fall was in all of that, that as humanity threw off dependence on God and pursued life on their own, because of those actions, we became distant from God. We experienced suffering, death, and the fracturing of all of creation. So fairly big themes for us to be covering. But the, f- the finishing word from last week was the incredible truth that God wasn't finished with us, that he had a plan, and his plan involved coming into the midst of our mess. And so today we turn our attention to one of the first points where God begins to reveal this big plan for creation. We're still in Genesis, and but before we dig in, um, we need to do a little bit more kind of context work and so we're going to just take take a step back for a while and look at Genesis as a whole and to help us get a sense of it I'm going to ask a bit of a random question but has anyone ever had a bad or weird experience of Airbnb? I hope some people are putting their hands up from home even though I can't see them. Has anyone ever had a bad or a weird experience of using Airbnb? Uh, there was one occasion where I had booked to visit my sister when she was living in Sydney and had used Airbnb to book a room there a number of years ago now, about six, seven years ago. And um, I was going to stay there for the two weeks with this guy in his room. And uh, I arrived there, I arrived at his house, and he showed me to the room that I was staying in. And then one of the very first things he told me was about this bedroom door. And uh, he told me that uh, he's a very light sleeper and he can hear any noise through the night. And the door has... Um, sometimes can make a noise. What he was really meaning was, this is a really old door that's swollen and so it gets stuck to the door frame, but I, I don't want to fix it, so I'm just going to get my guests to do something about it. So he then proceeded to show me this really complicated process of getting the door to open quietly, which involved like shoving my shoulder against it and like, lifting up the, the handle and then like very gently nudging it. Um, in the two weeks I was there, I failed to open the door quietly. I tried my hardest, but any time that I was leaving the bedroom, I, it made a noise. And uh, each morning, uh, he would proceed to tell me or when I was having breakfast that he woke up because I opened the door of the bedroom the night before. 
And it got so awkward because he got more and more passive aggressive about it and kept bringing me back to the bedroom door to try and reteach me how to open a door, which was a bit odd. Uh, so much so that I ended up leaving um, a couple of days early and just booked into a hotel. I was like, I don't care if it's a bit of money. I just want a couple of nights for me to worry about opening a door. When Airbnb first launched, the massive selling point for it, and you might have seen it in some of the original adverts, was this idea, idea that Airbnb offered a transformed way of us experiencing travel. I know we all just long for kind of getting back to that kind of travel again and opportunity to explore things more. But Airbnb's offer was you could go and experience life in the, through the eyes of the locals. That You don't just go to somewhere and stay in a hotel, but you can experience it the way that they see it. They can get to know the real places that are worth visiting as you um, journey with and share life with these locals. And at a deeper level, I think what it was doing was it was selling this way that all of us really wish that the world was and how we hunger for it to be, how we want the world to be. We want the world to be connected. We want to be able to share lives with one another, to fully be able to trust people. Um, And we want one where there isn't any brokenness. But the reality is that often that promise and that desire doesn't meet what we experience in front of us does it it's not really the way that we often find the world so what does this have to do with genesis well it's largely accepted that genesis is uh, written in two halves chapters 1 through 11 and chapters uh, 12 through 50 and these two sections serve different functions the idea is that chapters 1 through 11 are written to set the scene in full it sets out the way we know the world to be how it was created to be, but then also sets out what the world looks like in reality. And the idea is that by the end of chapter 11, we have this bigger picture in view. We have the origin stories. We see the way that creation was meant to be, but we also begin to see a downward trajectory. We see a world becoming more and more broken without God and less and less like it was intended to be. Some of the key stories in this section, which we haven't had time to cover in this series is, Um, Things like the first murder um, of the children of Adam and Eve. Uh, We have the flood that wipes out all of a good chunk of humanity. And then we have um, the building of the Tower of Babel, which is kind of this movement by humanity to try and topple any need for God and say we are gods ourselves. All of these stories demonstrate the outworking of separation from God and the fragmenting of the whole of creation. And so that's what is being set out by Genesis 1 through 11. It tells us the direction the world is heading, how the world should be, but how we find it in reality. And it shows us through that the need for God to intervene, to step into our mess and make things right. If that's the first half of Genesis, the second half from chapter 12 sets out the beginnings of another story. This story still begins in the middle of this same mess, but it's moving in a completely different direction. This story is about a promise that God makes. And in that promise, he begins to reveal his plan to restore all of creation, to be the way that it was intended to be. So we're going to read Genesis chapter 12 now. So if you have a Bible in front of you, you might want to open it. It will also be in the screen. And we're going to just begin to read some of this plan being revealed by God for all of creation. Starting in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. 
and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abraham took Sarah his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all the possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the, to the oak of Moreh. At that time the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So if you had never read or didn't know the story of the Old Testament or the book of Genesis, this would be quite an unexpected plot twist. So I just want you to imagine that you haven't heard it before. And we're reading 11 chapters of this incredibly descriptive story of the way that uh, creation and the world is going downhill. We're hearing about these massive worldwide floods, about towers are being built to rival the Burj Khalifa. And then boom, suddenly it shifts gear and you're meeting this random guy called Abraham in the middle of a desert. And he's just being told he is going to see the world transformed through him. It definitely would grab your attention, wouldn't it? Because it's not really what you'd expect to come next. And it should. It's designed to grab your attention. Because it's not understating the point to say that understanding the importance of this passage unlocks the rest of the Old Testament. Understanding the importance of this passage unlocks the rest of the Old Testament. This passage is absolutely at the centre. So to help us grasp this this morning, we need to look at it from a few different angles. We need to look at the relationship that God offers here and the responsibility that comes out of this relationship. And then we, look, we need to look at the promise itself that God makes to it, to this family and through this family. So we're looking at relationship, responsibility and the promise. So we're going to begin with relationship. And I want to begin by asking the question, what stands out to you from Abraham and Sarah and his family as we read this passage? What, what do we learn about them? What stands out as you read it? Uh, I'm just going to give you 30 seconds now to just check it through again and uh, turn to the person next to you if you're with someone or put it in the live chat. Or just write one thing or say one thing that stands out to you about them as you read Genesis chapter 12. You've got 30 seconds. Go. It's quite a hard question to answer, isn't it? There's actually very little that stands out about them. Maybe you managed to answer that question. If you did, then well done. But they're presented as a fairly ordinary couple. And yet they're going to be, Abraham's <laughs> older than a doll. Yet they're going to be at the center of God's plan. You could go as far as to say it was quite a risky move for God to begin to choose this specific family in, and bring them into the center of his plan, right? Because well, let, let's, let's ask the question, why is that? Well, Abraham is 75 years old. He lives in a culture which worships other gods and they have no children. So humanly speaking, if we hope to find someone to begin a movement that would change the whole world, we probably would look for someone who's a bit younger, maybe quite a big charismatic personality with lots of connections. 
maybe even with a big family so that the family can maybe spread a bit more widely throughout the world to make this movement become a reality. That might, in human terms, stand a chance to be more successful, right? But that's not the way that God works. So often he chooses the most unlikely people. And what we learn here is something which is absolutely at the center of God's character and how he chooses to work. As we were kind of thinking about last week as well. God chooses to work out his plans by committing to people. He chooses to work out his plans by committing to ordinary people. And even though Genesis 1 through 11 has told us about a world that's becoming more and more broken because humanity has turned its back on God, even still, God chooses to bind himself to humanity and to work through us to bring about his plans. He chooses to bind himself to humanity and to work through us to bring about his plans. And the qualifications of the people that God involves doesn't seem to matter really. And what's amazing when we read this is he doesn't treat Abraham and Sarah like pawns on a chessboard. He doesn't just move them around with no care or thought. He is deeply committed to this couple. Even though God is setting in motion a plan which will affect every part of creation, his attention is on this family. And in fact, the way that God chooses to commit to Abraham and Sarah is, is, is amazing. We read about more about his commitment in chapter 15 and 17 of Genesis. And so I just want to read a little section of chapter 17 to give us a glimpse into what God is offering this family. And starting in verse 4, it says, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abraham, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your offspring after you, throughout their generations, for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you, and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you, and to your offspring after you, the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God makes an everlasting covenant with Abraham. Everlasting. Not just until he dies, but beyond that. Forever. Forever and ever. From this moment on and throughout each of the line of Abraham's family. That is quite a commitment, isn't it? Like For an eternal God, he's at the time to commit to forever be a part of and bound to this family. And you might be wondering what a covenant is. It's everlasting, that's what he says, but what is a covenant? Because we don't really make covenants in our culture in the same way anymore. One that we maybe do so recognise is marriage. And the marriage vow that uh, husband and wife take when they get married isn't just some nice words, it's said in the excitement of a day when with family and friends. It is a deep and lifelong commitment to another person which involves laying down yourself. I heard a really helpful way of describing what a covenant is recently. And they said it like this, a covenant is saying to another person, I will be with to you all that I should be, no matter whether you are to me what you should be. I will be to you all that I should be, no matter whether you are to me what you should be. It is a lifelong committed relationship which involves us giving of ourselves in the process. And this is what God commits to with Abraham. And as part of this covenant promise, God even renames Abraham as Abraham. Did you notice that? 
It's a small detail, but it's really significant. Because you see, in that moment, God is giving Abraham one of the letters in his name. See, when God reveals his name to the, the Old Testament people, he, he calls himself Yahweh, which in Hebrew is just four letters, Y-H-W-H. There's not any vowels to it. And so when he says to Abraham, you shall now be named Abraham, he's giving Abraham the letter H, one of the letters of his name. And, and through doing that, what he's saying is, I am binding myself to the story of your family. And he's also saying to Abraham, you now have a new story with me. It's an incredible reminder of how relationship is right at the heart of who God is and how he works. And I just, I just wonder, as we've been covering this, and I've said it often last week, is, it, is that starting to sink in yet? Is that reality starting to sink in? Maybe not even just through this series, but for all of us, no matter how long we've been following Jesus. Because this isn't unique to Abraham and God's relationship. God hasn't changed. This is how God relates to us. It's how he relates to you this morning. We too are invited to know God and be part of his story through the person and work of Jesus. And he wants us to have a new story in him. So God chooses ordinary, often completely unexpected people to join in on the most extraordinary story. And if we had time to unpack the life of Abraham, which we don't this morning, unfortunately, we would discover that he gets it wrong fairly frequently and he quite regularly falters in his relationship with God. But God continues to work out his plan for creation through this family. And I, I just find that such a relief that we don't need to have everything lined up or get everything right before God will consider working through us. We can fear, feel fearful and anxious and like we haven't got much to give. And in the midst of that, God would say, come and join me. Come and be a part of this big story I'm telling. I wonder that God would remind us of that afresh today. Come and be a part of this big story I'm writing. Maybe you've never heard that invitation before. And I wonder if God would be saying this to you and inviting you to journey with him. Come and be a part of my story. Let me give you a new name. So this is how God relates to Abraham. Then we also learn here was asked in response, what our responsibility is. And he wants us to play a part. He wants Abraham to play a part. And all of us have a part to play. The one thing that God does look for from Abraham is faith. He finds in Abraham someone who trusts that God is who he says he is and lives as though it were true. And that's, that's what faith looks like. Trusting God is who he says he is and living as though it were true. In Abraham and Sarah's case, that looked like them having to leave behind their home, their family, everything they knew in response to what God said, even without knowing where God was leading them. And so they had to make a choice. Do I trust what God has said? Do I trust what God has said enough for me to leave behind everything I know? And do I trust God with the future that he has promised to me? I think these are equally relevant questions for us right now, aren't they? As we see restrictions beginning to ease, there is still this sense of unknown about the future. Maybe many of us are actually feeling anxiety about the restrictions easing. That's what we were praying for earlier, wasn't it? 
and alongside that sense of excitement and anticipation of what might come next. And in the midst of this passage, in the midst of all of that, this passage asks us to, this morning, will you trust that God is who he says he is? And will you live as if his promises are true? Will you trust him with the unknowns of this future? Trust that he is who he says he is and he will do the things that he says he will do. So we spent a lot of time looking at what this story reveals to us about God and how he chooses to work. The way that God works primarily through relationship to people to bring about his big, big plan for creation and also what is asked of us in response. But the one thing that we haven't talked about is what this promise actually is. What is the promise in Genesis 12 that God makes to Abraham? Because as I stated at the start, this passage and particularly this promise is absolutely central in order for us to understand the rest of the Old Testament. God promises three things to Abraham. A land, a people, and a blessing. A land, a people, and a blessing. Do you see that in the passage? And what is incredible is how similar this promise is to what we discovered in Genesis 1 and 2 last week and God's intentions for creation and humanity. And we also discovered these same three things are also what are lost at the fall. So let me just unpack that a little bit more. <clears throat> a land, God promises a land. In Genesis 1 and 2, God creates a garden and places Adam and Eve in the garden. He gives them a home. That's a key part to them knowing who they are, is having a place which is theirs. In Genesis 3, the outworking of the fall is that they have to leave the garden. They become displaced. They lose their home, which is part of who they are. In Genesis 12, we see this restored. God promises restoration. I will give you a land which is yours. And then secondly, a people. In Genesis 1 and 2, we discover through creation that God created us to be in relationship with God and with one another. And then in Genesis 3, we see that humanity is fractured, that that murder happens, blood is spilled. Adam and Eve experience conflict with one another and also distance from God. And in Genesis 12, we see God restoring again a people, one nation, one family with God at the center. He's promising that he's going to bring his people back together in him. And then finally, a blessing. So the word blessing or blessed, as we see it here, could be defined as living the way that God intended and planned. That's how you could define it. That's what it means to be blessed, to live a life to the full in God, to live the way that things were intended to be. In Genesis 1 and 2, we see that creation is in harmony. Creation is very good. It is blessed by God. And then in Genesis 3, with the fall, creation is fractured and is cursed. In Genesis 12, God sets out a promise that all of creation again will be blessed and restored through this one family, through his people. And so, again, we see an, this incredible throwing forward to the work that God is going to do as he intends through himself to restore his creation and to use this family to be part of it. And when you do look forward and when you look to the New Testament, you see that Jesus fulfills all of these promises in himself. Jesus comes through the family line of Abraham 
And in Jesus, every promise of God is fulfilled. That's the words we were singing in uh, Yes and Amen. It's, we've also find it in 2 Corinthians where it says, all the promises of God are yes in Christ. And in fact, we even literally see Jesus using some of the same language of Genesis 12 when he sends out the disciples in Matthew 28. Right at the end of his ministry, when he's sending them to go and be a blessing to this world, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, that all people might know who I am, that all my people might have an opportunity to know God, and I will be with you until the end of the age. God is, through Jesus, he's fulfilling what he promised to do right at the start in Genesis 12. And so what does that mean for us as people who live following Jesus now? Well, uh, to throw us back to the story I shared at the start about Airbnb. All of us know how we long for the world to be. All of us know how the world ought to be and yet how it is in reality. And as the people of God who carry this promise in Genesis 12 that's fulfilled in Jesus, we have a part to play right now and we get to experience some of it right now. We have a home. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are sons and daughters of the living God who is at work amongst us here and now. We have a people. We get to know God deeply. We find our place in dependence on him and in relationship to others as we as church family are drawn together into this big family of God. And finally, we are called to be a blessing, to change this world for the better as we live to bring the kingdom of God in this city, making disciples of all nations. And that is why, so close to the heart of who we are as Central, is communities. It's our desire that every part of this city is blessed, that they get to experience the kingdom of God firsthand, life lived to the full in Jesus, as we live for him where we are. And so we're going to continue in these coming weeks to see this incredible story and promise played out week after week. And I just want to pray for us again now as we begin to take in some of that and think about what God might be saying to us in the midst of it. So let me just pray. Let's take a moment to pause before we do. Father God, I thank you for this morning and I thank you for this opportunity we have had just to reflect on um, this story that we're drawn into, which uh, predates us by thousands of years and will outlast us and yet something which we'd get to be a part of too. We get to join in with this work that you're doing. We get to be people who know the outworking of these promises fulfilled through Jesus. And so I just pray for us as we reflect on what this means for us, as we think about how we relate to you, knowing that you've committed yourself so fully to us. As we look at our part to play, as we seek to follow you in this city, God, would you be stirring us to things that you're calling us to? Remind us of who we are and the things that you've gifted us to do. And I pray that you'd inspire us again to go deep into your word, into scripture, to know this incredible story that is found in its pages. I say this in Jesus' name. Amen.